The Missing Witches Project is entirely listener supported and listener, we want you to join us. Do you want to be part of a community that helps make public research into marginalized ideas? Do you want to join in interviews with all these magical people and meet other anti-racist, trans-inclusive, neuroqueer, feminist practitioners of different kinds from all over the world in our monthly circles? Or are you maybe just down to send a little money magic towards these stories and ideas and the causes we support? Anyway, either way, check out missingwitches.com to learn more about us. And please know, we've been missing you. And one last thing before we start. The stories we tell require a general content warning. It's just a fact of this terrain of interrogating what is missing. We promise to hold those moments with care. You aren't being a proper woman, therefore you must be a witch. You must be a witch. The Bader-Meinhof phenomenon, otherwise known as the frequency illusion or recency bias, is a situation where something you recently learned about suddenly seems to appear everywhere. It's an illusion. It was always there, but when you know, you notice. When you know, you see, and what is seen cannot be unseen. For us witches, unconcerned with the lines people place on their realities, it's not a matter of dismissing illusions, but rather digging into them to think on synchronicity and examine why this message is suddenly being delivered again and again. Such is my story of Vandana Shiva, tree hugger, seed freedom activist, author of 20 books, an eco-feminist who will never be overcome by hopelessness, no matter how tough the situation, and who directs our attention to a tiny speck that is the first link in the food chain, seeding all life. I was looking for books about eco-feminism, I was looking for co-authored books with an ingrained sense of collaboration. So when I found a book called Ecofeminism, co-authored by two women, it felt like cosmic validation. Maybe that validation is an illusion. Bader-Meinhof. Or maybe, just maybe, it's the universe telling me where to look and when to look there. I had never heard of Vandana Shiva, and now I see her everywhere. She's in conversation with Jane Goodall and on podcasts with Russell Brand. There's a new documentary about her, and we are connected. Born in India in 1952, Vandana moved to Ontario, Canada, where I'm from, the same year I was born. And we share a publishing house, North Atlantic Books. And... More interestingly for our purposes, we are connected because Vandana was inspired, as Risa was in episode 71 of this Missing Witches podcast, as we all were and are, by Gora Devi and the Chipko movement, to hug trees and protect them. But before we go much farther, let's take a moment to define for ourselves what it means to be a witch. In my way of thinking, we aren't so much calling these visionaries, these dissidents, witches, but rather adding them to a pantheon of role models in an attempt to find the witchness we've been missing 
and define that word for ourselves. If you can't or won't call yourself a witch, what words might you use? Ecofeminist? Vanguard? Spiritual politico? Plant punk? Sacred community builder? Earth activist? Tree hugger? Vandana Shiva is all these things and more. So, while we continue our investigation into that missing part of ourselves, Vandana can help us to seed our sovereignty and fruit our freedom. We place the witch at the intersection of art and science, knowledge and imagination, the bizarre and the holy, emotion and logic, physics and philosophy, the head and the heart. At this crossroad we find Vandana Shiva, waiting impatiently for the world to meet her there and go to seed. She wrote, Physics was my passion and my chosen profession. In school, I received the Science Talent Scholarship, which gave me the opportunity to train in India's leading scientific institutions. I trained to be a nuclear physicist in the Baba Atomic Research Center, but moved to theoretical physics when my sister Mira, a medical doctor, made me aware of nuclear hazards. I realized then that most science is partial. I wanted to practice a holistic science and was drawn to quantum theory for its non-reductionist, non-mechanist paradigm. Before leaving for Canada to do my PhD in the foundations of quantum theory, I wanted to visit my favorite places in the Himalaya where I had grown up. But the forest and streams had disappeared. The rich oak forests, which absorb the monsoon rains to release the water slowly as streams, has been cut down in the insane rush to build dams and roads and to grow apples. In looking for a new way to deal with this personally experienced loss, I became a volunteer for the Chipko movement, the movement to embrace trees to prevent their being cut. Every vacation from 1974 to 1981 found me back in the Himalayan village of Terry Garwal, and often in the ashram of Bimla and Sunderlal Bahaguna, Gandhians who played a leading role in supporting the women who had spontaneously started the movement. By 1981, the government was forced to recognize the wisdom of the Chipko, that the primary products of the forest are soil, water, and pure air not timber, resin, and revenues. Logging was banned in the Himalaya above 1,000 meters. Though I had grown up in the forests of the Himalaya, it was the Chipko movement that awakened my ecological consciousness and made me deeply aware of the relationship between ecological destruction and the creation of poverty. I often say that I have learned my ecology in Chipko University with ordinary peasant women as my teachers. One of the slogans that emerged from the Chipko was that forestry should shift from commercial forestry to social forestry, in service of nature and society. Vandana took what she calls the difficult and challenging path of trying to combine scientific research with social and ecological responsibility. Her master's degree is in the philosophy of science a branch of philosophy concerned with the foundations, methods, and implications of science. The implications of science. Not just the can we, but the should we. 
Every ecological problem, she says, comes from this illusion that we are separate from nature. And once again, we see how even illusions can and do shape our material lives. Vandana ties biodiversity to the diversity of thought, rallying against what she calls a monoculture of the mind. Agricultural monocultures are nutritionally impoverished, and similarly, a singularly focused monoculture of the mind is spiritually and intellectually impoverished. For plants and humans, collaboration works against monoculture. Vandana co-wrote the book Ecofeminism in 1993 with German anarchist and radical feminist sociologist Maria Mais, combining Western and Southern feminism with environmental, technological, and feminist issues, all incorporated under the term ecofeminism, to make sure that this work had a diversity of thought. We can see that knowledge as old as science itself is being dismissed, destroyed for its lack of profitability, in the same way that we have decided what is weed and what is not weed, what is desirable or not, what is useful or not, who and what should be uprooted and who and what can stay. Vandana wrote, Scarcities of local useful plant varieties have been created because the dominant knowledge systems discount the value of local knowledge and declare locally useful plants to be weeds. Since dominant knowledge is created from the perspective of increasing commercial output and responds only to values on the market, it cannot see the values assigned to plant diversity by local perceptions. Diversity is thus destroyed in plant communities and forest and peasant communities because in commercial logic it is not useful. And, as Cotton Mather, the famous witch hunter of Salem, Massachusetts, has stated, what is not useful is vicious. We witches are weeds, tagged as undesirable, threatening, vitally erased because we're not useful to capitalism growing where we're not wanted to grow. We witches are weeds, invasive, rewilding, and as such, we are vicious and must be destroyed. In her essay Empowering Women, Vandana quotes Gandhi, The earth has enough for everyone's needs, but not for some people's greed. She herself has been called the Gandhi of grain. The Green Revolution in India was initiated in the 1960s by introducing high-yielding varieties of rice and wheat to increase food production in order to alleviate hunger and poverty. That sounds great, right? Alleviate hunger and poverty, but... Much like we saw when wolves were reintroduced into Yellowstone, biodiversity, or lack thereof, has a massive exponential and cascading effect through the whole ecosystem. Vandana wrote, The biodiversity of Punjab has disappeared and been replaced by monocultures of wheat and rice. Diseases and pests have exploded, and with them, the use of pesticides. Chemicals also need massive inputs of water. Overuse of water for chemical farming has led to desertification. In terms of health, 
or farmers' incomes, the Green Revolution has not created growth. It has created poverty and underdevelopment. The creation of seed monopolies, the destruction of alternatives, the collection of super profits in the form of royalties from seed patents, and the increasing vulnerability of monocultures has created a context for debt, suicides, and farms in distress in India. Vandana supports the idea of seed freedom, or the rejection of patents on new plant lines or cultivars, she has campaigned against the implementation of the WTO 1994 trade-related intellectual property rights, which broadens the scope of patents to include life forms. She calls the patenting of life biopiracy and has fought against attempted patents of several indigenous plants, such as basmati rice. Food production must once again be an issue of sustainability, she says. Taking care of the earth and the human right to food must be an inalienable right. In a video on YouTube called How to Decolonize the Global Economy, no small task, Vandana asks, Where is the dividing line between civilization and the wild? These concepts are rooted in colonialism. She goes on, it's in our hands. If we turn to the earth and her biodiversity, we turn to the forests as our teachers, to the plants as our teachers, and we can turn to all of humanity as one family and all biodiversity as one family. We can move from greed to care. Say it with me now, witches. We can move from greed to care. We can move from greed to care. We can move from greed to care. In Earth Democracy, Justice, Sustainability, and Peace, she wrote, The fight for truth is not just our right as free citizens of free societies. It is our duty as citizens of the Earth. Whenever we engage in consumption or production patterns which take more than we need, we are engaging in violence. In nature's economy, the currency is not money, it is life. So how do we change? How do we value life over money? How do we reestablish for ourselves that link between us and literally everything else, the air, water, and earth? When we look around our 21st century, we see famine, corruption, war that feels unstoppable, and it's overwhelming to be tiny seeds, poking our heads out of the soil to be met with such horrors. But despite the complexity of the issues we face, Vandana has simple advice. Seed saving is the most important thing to do in our times, she said. The nature of seed is to go to seed to multiply, to be shared, and all the new laws are designed to prevent us from saving seed, to make seed uniform rather than diverse. You're a scientist when you start saving seeds. Seed saving is remarkably easy. Cut open a ripe fruit, remove the seeds, save them, plant them. How often can we say that the most important thing to do in our times is actually pretty simple?
So I'd love for this Missing Witch's Coven to try something today that is that rare combination of important and easy. Even if you don't have a place to plant, I'd love if the next time you eat an apple to remove a seed, examine it, thank it, and marvel at the miracles held within the genetic data that keeps us all alive. Or celebrate Samhain by lovingly separating the pumpkin guts from seeds as you carve your jack-o'-lantern, roasting them with herbs and spices, and as you chew, be amazed, thoughtful, and grateful. Feel connected. Vandana says that there has been a severing of the link, not just the link, the understanding between human beings and the planet they live on. They scramble the intelligence that connects eggs to hens, milk to cows, food to forests, water to rivers, air to life, and the earth to human existence. It's strange to me that during those two world wars... Citizens were encouraged to plant and tend what they called victory gardens, encouraged to create their own food sources during times of scarcity. Meanwhile, in the 21st century, a full 2% of land in the United States is taken up with residential lawns, and homeowners associations and increasing urbanization make it difficult or impossible to grow food at home. We are discouraged from creating our own food sources, discouraged from sharing. Lawns and their maintenance produce more greenhouse gases than they absorb. Suburban biodiversity deserts have contributed to vanishing insect populations. Residential lawns require more irrigation than any agricultural crop grown in the country. And all they give us in return is a false sense of control and uniformity. And this is what capitalism wants to see happen with our food. For seeds to be classified as intellectual property. For sharing and providing for ourselves and our community to be criminalized. It's overwhelming to battle against this monoculture of both food and mind. And this story too could have taken us to dark and confusing places. Conspiracy theories and the depths to which greed will sink. But Vandana has been fighting this battle for decades. She doesn't tire, and she doesn't give up. So instead of spiraling through depressing and terrifying projections and statistics, let's end this segment like seeds, reaching up out of the darkness and into the light, with a rallying cry from Vandana herself. And whether this validation is an illusion or not, may her words seed something real in you today. I do not allow myself to be overcome by hopelessness, no matter how tough the situation. I believe that if you just do your little bit without thinking of the bigness of what you stand against, if you turn to the enlargement of your own capacities, just that itself creates new potential. And I've learned from the Bhagavad Gita and other teachings from our culture to detach myself from the results of what I do because those are not in my hands. The context is not in your control, but your commitment is yours to make. And you can make the deepest commitment with a total detachment about where it will take you. 
You want it to lead to a better world and you shape your actions and take full responsibility for them, but then you have detachment. And that combination of deep passion and deep detachment allows me to take on the next challenge. Because I don't cripple myself, I don't tie myself in knots. I function like a free being. I think getting that freedom is a social duty. Because I think we owe each other. Because I think we owe it to each other. Not to burden each other with prescription and demands. I think that what we owe each other is a celebration of life. And to replace fear and hopelessness with fearlessness and joy. Hi, Risa. Hi, Amy. I thought um, you might want to talk a bit about Amrita Devi and Gora Devi. Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, what a tradition. What an inspiring tradition to think about, right? Like, I think it's like 1600s that this first Bishnoi act of trying to protect a tree with your fucking life and being murdered for it like triggers what then becomes the chip Chipco. yeah yeah so we've written about those women before that tradition um those sort of heroes of the chipco movement this idea of tree huggers that actually comes from these real women like low income low education women understanding what these like as Sophie Strand says these like monologuing pathogens don't understand you know that that the idea of social forestry or like the idea that the biodiversity is crucial it can't, we can't just have one crop we can't just have one perspective we'll all die I mean they're literally they're watching mudslides take out their communities because the trees have been cut down so it's this very lived experience and very like localized experience it's like very specific the insights that are available to a specific place and to perceptions that are tied to the animals and species in that place you know that those those are the real insights those are the and and it's like those are the that's why we need like an open source culture or an open source seed culture you know um we need that that diversity of perspectives because that monologuing pathogen, it's like the ego out of control. It's like that one perspective that just kind of in a terror of replication just wants to like eat everything until it just lives in a universe of its own shit. I think that's a good description yeah. of capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's so interesting to me that we see this like mirroring of like, you know, what Vandana calls like monoculture and then monoculture of the mind, you know, yeah. there's like biodiversity and then there's like cultural diversity. And this is, this is what we're aiming toward. And this is what our current system is aiming against. Right. And I think we see this in like the, the, uh, I'll say defamation of, of the, the term tree hugger. Right. You know, when I was growing up, like tree hugger was like a navel gazer, like, you know, a pothead, like, someone you know a flanner as we we say in French like someone who just kind of you know 
ditzy like that was the that was the painting the the ditzy hippie for sure exactly but like the actual movement was like very fucking real and Mm. you know there was nothing ditzy about it no no I mean like a couple hundred women and children were murdered the first time as they tried to protect their trees and then the second you know went for um I have it mixed up in my head which one was Gora and which one was Amrita? Because Amrita definitely got her head chopped off. Okay. While her children watched. Yeah. So, yeah. And then when Gora Devi comes and she's been like, you know, part of the Chipko movement, hearing about it, she, I think she ran or she was often a guest on like a, a, a local radio station. And so she would kind of, she was this organizer, leader, single mom um so she's the one they came to find kids came to find when uh the workers came to cut down the trees after the men in the village had been like tricked out of the village to get a payment or whatever and so she's the one and she and her and the women and children hugged the trees again and this time you know i i like that idea too that like uh, you know a couple hundred years later inspired by the same gesture and knowing what the result of that gesture was that it was murder Mm-hmm. that they chose that same gesture and this time it worked like this time it stopped them this time like it resonated differently with them it gives me a little bit of hope a seed of hope can a we seed. say i'll take it <laughs> you know the seed stuff is so interesting and so complicated like um i think you know we do a disservice to the complexity of the question by just being like everything genetically modified is bad because farmers have been genetically modifying crops by like interbreeding or whatever crops on their land, like making hyper local, hyper specific variants on their land and the balance of their land for thousands and thousands of years. So, but I think, you know, Vandana Shiva, she's really specific. I think she gets summarized sometimes in, in speeches as being just like anti-GMO, which maybe she is and I'm I'm like overinterpreting. But it seems to me like what she's talking about is more subtle. It's like, it's patenting seeds. It's the closed sourcing yes. of the, the like shared life of this earth that's super fucked up you know it's like it's like people holding a patent for the first mapping of the human genome like that shouldn't be fucking allowed (laughs) (laughs) that shit's backwards yeah and i think what what we need to do is maybe like think more specifically in our terminology we use these umbrella terms like genetically modified but like that's what evolution does yeah evolution genetically modifies this is perfectly natural to have some kind of genetic modification but again when we seed capitalism into our seed mixture like can we call it like you know terrifying dystopian genetic (laughs) modification that's it yeah like making these these versions of rice like the golden rice you know that address the vitamin a deficiency that could save 230,000 children's lives a year like that's a very noble cause but then saying that that is you know that we have to accept a patented closed source rice 
as a solution to a problem caused by colonialism and inequality and the stripping of the land. Like, I understand why Vandana Shiva is like, this is a bit of a Trojan horse, right? Like, in this particular instance, you know, they're saying these corporations aren't involved and we don't make money on the patent. And Monsanto's like, you know, you can have the golden rice seed for free as long as you don't make more than $10,000. Like, it, she's right. It is a Trojan horse. It is a fucking slippery thing. Like, accept this thing that will cure that will save your children's lives. And it means accepting like privatized seeds that that don't inter that don't know how to interact in your local ecosystem. Yeah. And that can that we've seen in other instances can just generate even worse relationships with local fungus or another, you know, another bacteria or whatever decimate the whole area. Like, it's just not that it's not c'est pas évident, as we say like yeah. it's not it's not obvious how to do it but thinking that like one closed source corporation that profits massively from owning the intellectual property to do it is gonna save the day for the starving kids who are fucked over by colonialism i don't think that's right i i think she, i think she's right to resist it i think she's a fucking badass witch who's right to resist it yeah, and it, it rings of that, like, you know, horrible, again, the, the depths to which greed will sink are always mind-blowing to me, but the um, Nestle bringing formula into certain places um, because, you know, again, they were trying to feed children and help people, and that was this Trojan horse, you know? Right, and also because... selling the bottled water and also, like, undermining clean water regulations you know, and, and like, and then also like bullying women who needed to use formula. Like, I don't know that they're, they're, they're trying to have it every, every way. Yeah. 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 So I think that that's the scary thing about like, yeah, we're going to, you know, solve vitamin A deficiency with this thing that you have to buy that you can no can't get from anywhere else. And sooner or later, this is going to be the only option because it's the only crop that's allowed to grow in this country. Like, yeah, yeah you know, a lot of Vandana's critics are like, do you know how many people would starve if, you know, we didn't have these like wheat fields and these right field, rice fields. And again, but it's like, it's a little more complicated than that. Right? Yeah. And I mean, I do think there's room for that critique. Like it is, it is complicated, you know, like it's the staying with the trouble idea, you know, like we can't, we can't, we can't escape the fact that we are here right now where like, you know, billions of people are going blind and are dying from billions of people are going blind, hundreds of thousands of people are dying from this vitamin A deficiency that can be successfully helped with this rice crop. Like, I think, I just, I wonder, I don't know what the like visionary middle is, the, the like staying with the trouble. I think it has to do with open source um, because I think it has to do with the commons. So it, it, open source is like an idea of common, like intellectual property as commons which is related to the land as common. So I think those two movements really need each other. Mm -hmm. um, and the more that like we can protect and yeah, like advocate for public land and public ownership of land and public, you know, benefiting from the bounty of the earth with systems like, you know, 
housing first and basic income that like if we can own those things tax the billionaires share that wealth then and then also like raise up our you know um programming knowledge so our, our access to the the digital commons so that there's more insights on and more complex perspectives in building those sort of like open source governance or like what does what does open source the open source version of monsanto look like right where like when we share like and i know there are people who have been working on this for decades but i don't i'm not up to date on where it's at but i, I think it's so exciting is like where we share um, what is unique in our seeds, where we understand what is complex in our in our local biodiversity, and we become like champions of those like hyperlocal kinship relationships. Um, I don't know. I I think that there's something exciting in that that part of staying in the trouble. Yeah, especially because like. Uh we live in this time of open source we're talking about software we're talking about technology but also people are using those things to either rediscover or you know germinate and spread um traditional knowledge um indigenous knowledge and we see how much overlap there is in these things and that's so exciting to me you know when our web becomes like a three-dimensional fractal that <laughs> expands in every day because you know it's like a again maybe it's a tree hugger phrase but to think that everything is connected from our open source software to the genetic information in our seeds like again listeners you know me I'm just uh, sometimes I'll just be like it's like that feeling of being on a rock hurtling through space yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember you being like there are wheels like guys let's just stop and appreciate how fucking cool yeah, so, yeah. i think about that all the time i know <laughs> all that I know. stuff fire you guys yeah. <laughs> but like you know seeds are open source software hmm. you know seeds are open source software certainly like yeah, it's like open source software that we don't totally understand yet. Right? Oh my goodness. Oh, at no point did I say I totally understand any of this. No, Let's I don't mean just you and I. Like, <laughs> obviously, we don't understand it. We're yeah. just like, whatever. Bunch of Joe Schmoes. But like, <laughs> but like, you know, it's like open source that like we can't, like, um, we can't read the code yet. Exactly. So, yeah. So to be, privatizing shit we don't understand um it's just such stupid hubris yes yeah. let's not privatize things we don't understand for one thing <laughs> but again like the the nature of seed is to go to seed yeah. is to multiply and spread and be taken on by many various different interpretations and then have those interpretations come back together and yeah. in informing our understanding of the whole you know yeah I yeah. That. yeah, me too. Let's all think on that. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us what you think. Bless the fucking me. Bless the fucking me. You must be a witch. The Missing Witches podcast is created by Risa Dickens and Amy Torak with insight and support from the coven at patreon.com slash missingwitches. Amy and Risa are the co-authors of Missing Witches, Reclaiming True Histories of Feminist Magic, 
which is available now wherever you get your books or audiobooks. And of New Moon Magic, 13 Anti-Capitalist Tools for Resistance and Reenchantment, coming fall 2023.